Matamari, welcome to First Up. This is Rahina. That's Monday, the last day of October for this year. Ko Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, at least 150 people have been killed in a crowd crush in Korea. We'll have the latest news from there. Also, our correspondents in the United States and in Europe as well. And as COVID cases rise, what is brain fog? And how do you know you have it? I know, I heard it. Uh, we hear from one of New Zealand's physicians who's researching post-COVID, and air travellers are crying foul over how much they're forking out for flights. I just came back from India last night. The normal price for a flight would have been less than two grand, and I've paid over four grand. And even domestic flights from Wellington to Auckland is about over $300 return, and generally used to be less than $150. Welcome back to your work week. Kia ora Aotearoa, how you doing? Uh, Nathan Rarita here with First Up. And we begin our show this morning in the United States. So a lot going on there, voting in the midterm elections set to begin and also the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi's husband, uh, recovering from a politically motivated home invasion, which just sounds absolutely horrific. Joining me now from New York City is Anna Burns Francis. Uh, Kia ora Anna, thank you very much for being here with us to kick off our week. What's the latest on this attack on, um, on Nancy Pelosi's husband? Yeah, sounds pretty horrific. And to be noted, he is expected to make a full recovery, but surgery for a fractured skull and all at the hands of a man police say is David DePape, 42 years old, uh, spent most of those years pretty troubled by the sounds of it. He's lived in a storage unit, refused to have a bank account, described by family as consumed by darkness. We know that he broke into the back door of Nancy Pelosi's house in San Francisco. Now, she is third in line to the presidency and the U.S. House Speaker. So the middle of the night, Paul Pelosi, her husband, gets up. Now, he's managed to call 911 secretly, and that's when police arrived and all hell broke loose. What we do already know about David DePape is he appears to have gone down that conspiracy theory right-wing rabbit hole in recent years. Anti-Semitism posts, elites controlling the internet, and of course, a hatred for Nancy Pelosi. She has become a bit of a target for particularly Donald Trump supporters who believed that she was part of this effort to falsify the 2020 election results. DePape has given a statement to police. Uh, he's in custody, charged with attempted homicide and assault with a weapon but he won't be in court for a couple more days do, do we know much about him like has he done many of these things before i know you said there that he was uh, living in the storage facility but is it you know does he have former charges that are similar not that anybody has managed to uncover yet and in mm. fact it's really only these really lengthy ramblings on the internet that people have been able to piece together even where he was and and he came from uh, canada about 20 years ago, left and moved to California and has had a fairly itinerant life. But this certainly is the first time he seems to have popped up in any obvious way. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about something different here, Supreme Court. So they're going to start hearing arguments tomorrow on a university's affirmative action policies. Tell us about these. Yeah, so affirmative action is basically how universities use that Brown versus the Board of Education decision from 1954. Now, that was the ending of segregation in schools. Uh, it says you couldn't use race as a measure. But at now, 2022, students for fair admissions is turning that argument on its head, saying that that means African-American students, who, by the way, we should point out, come from less privileged backgrounds most of the time, have fewer opportunities to reach higher education. Well, the students for fair admissions say they should not be given 
any special admission status to account for that. Most universities actually only use race as one of a multitude of factors, and they say that increasing diversity on campus is a way of increasing education for all of their students. The arguments in front of the Supreme Court start tomorrow, uh, but we, how, despite how obvious we think this case might be, don't forget that this is a Supreme Court now that leans to the right and very conservatively so. So the decision might not go the way we think it is, particularly from those justices who read with a fairly originalist interpretation of the Constitution. So we'll have to wait until June before we see how that decision is released. But this will be a decision that impacts America's education system for generations to come. Mm, which is interesting when you have a look at how the midterms are going as well. So only one week to go until the midterms. Um, what, what, actually, what, what's the main issue everyone's talking about? Is it cost of living, etc.? Yeah, you've got to think that that's going to be high on people's priority list, right? 19 million votes have already been cast early. We know that inflation and the economy are big talking points. So too is abortion, though. That's come up on a lot of states' ballots. But there will be a more concerning and pressing issue, and it's not actually one that people vote on. Will Americans actually believe the outcome? Because polling says that more than 40% of Americans do not trust the results of the 2020 election, don't think they were legitimate. And nothing has really changed here around the arguments of how those elections are rolled out. There's been no campaign to shore up people's feelings about their legitimacy or their credibility. And in fact, there's been a whole lot of work done by some members of parties on the right to discredit the system. Uh, so that could pose some big problems in the next week or so if it turns out to be another tight race, which polling says it probably is going to be. Although they do seem to be okay with the uh, areas that they won in. Apparently those were all absolutely legitimate. It's, it's just the other ones. That's you can always win. It's just a question <laughs> on how you could possibly lose. Exactly. Hard. Hey, very quickly there, Elon Musk, the uh, new owner of Twitter with some extra backing there apparently, and, and apparently it sounds great. He's what? He's going to show up and fire half the workforce. Yeah, what a great week to be turning up at Twitter, huh? Mm. The CEO, CFO, general counsel and head policy boss are gone. Now there's reports that he's planning to fire as much as half of his workers before Tuesday. He's been complaining over the weekend on Twitter, of course, that there seem to be more managers than workers. The problem will be it's not too hard for them to get another job in the current market, to be fair. But will those workers get what they are due, which is on Tuesday, the annual bonus that they were promised? Now, normally it's paid out in shares, but the deal of his takeover was that he would pay them in cash. Already, we have seen him refuse the golden handshakes he's due for the CEO and CFO and like. They are going to have to go to court. You can expect a whole lot more people to be filing their claims as well. Mm, thank you very much. Anna Burns Francis in the, the USA. That is, uh, that'll be an interesting story to follow. It's 11 and a half past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity, and you might have heard about this. It's just very sad. A period of national mourning has been declared in South Korea where over 150 people celebrating Halloween were killed in a crush on Saturday. The president, Yoon Suk-yul, has vowed a full investigation. So the stampede occurred as more than 100,000 people many in costume, poured into the Itaewon Party District. The BBC's Jean McKenzie has more. Young people out to party, having fun, until things suddenly change. By the end of the night, bodies lined the street, some in costume. 
Others were carried into ambulances, lifeless and barefoot. The chilling sign of people who've tried to run but not been able to. The crush started in a small alleyway. It was so packed, people were stuck elbow to elbow. They had barely an inch to move when the crowd surged forward. The incident happened as large numbers of people fell down during the Halloween festival, which caused serious injuries. This area of Seoul is one of the most popular places for a night out, for locals and tourists. It's the place to celebrate Halloween, and it's estimated 100,000 had come tonight. There's so many people to the point we were being crushed on the pavement, um, to the point where we had to spill onto the road where there were you know, cars. Uh, no one really understood what was going on, but there were already several police cars at the scene in front of Itaewon station and police standing on top of their police cars, desperately trying to tell people to leave the area as soon as possible. Hundreds of ambulances and fire engines line the streets. Desperate people, alongside emergency workers, try to perform CPR. And there will likely be more as the injured are treated in hospital. Something has gone horrifically wrong here in Seoul tonight, working out what is an important next step. But tonight, this city is numb, still trying to track down its lost. That was Jean McKenzie reporting from Seoul. Exact 14 past five. There you are. You're listening to First Up at RNZ National with me, Nathan Radere. Always keen for your feedback. Today we have a story on airfare. Um, how much are people pay? How much you're paying for your air travel? Because we've got many people that say, uh, "Gosh, this this is very expensive." Is what they're doing now. I think everything's quite expensive at the moment. But is is it staggeringly expensive for you? And I think more so. Let's go slightly to the side of what's being reported there. Have you just gone nah and decided to travel another another form of travel? And which one did you go by in the end? I'm just very curious. Curious to know. Two one o one. Email us first up at rnz.co.nz. We go to Europe. Uh, right now, uh, where it's actually still the weekend over there, so working in Germany uh, is our correspondent, Nita Blake-Person. Sorry to cut into your weekend, Nita. It's all right. Anything for you, Nathan. Oh, good one. Hey, now, Russia out there, boy, they love to get the information out, throw out so much information, it gets confusing. Gaslighting the world, basically blaming everyone for the war in Ukraine but itself. So what is the latest out of the war zone there? Yeah, they've been making some pretty big claims. Uh, This all kind of kicked off yesterday. It was sparked by an alleged drone attack on some Russian ships in Crimea in the Black Sea. Russia's defence ministry said they managed to repel most of, you know, they described this as a massive attack and only suffered minor damage. But it prompted some pretty major statements. First of all, they said British Navy personnel had helped direct Ukraine in carrying out the attack. Then they said they had information indicating those same British personnel had been involved in explosions on the Nord Stream gas pipeline last month. So those are those big explosions which caused huge damage to that very important pipeline between Russia and Europe. And there have been several investigations going on, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, everyone's looking into it. So far, no one has been found to be responsible. But uh, this accusation 
from Russia. Certainly the first time uh, Britain has been mentioned in any involvement. They've denied it outright, saying uh, to detract from their disastrous handling of the illegal invasion of Ukraine, Russia is resorting to peddling false claims of an epic scale. Um, I guess one of the biggest consequences of these accusations, though, is that Russia has now pulled the pin on the grain deal it had with Ukraine, which allowed really vital exports to make it out of the country safely. Um, that had kind of been in place for a few months to try and help ease the global food crisis. And this change of heart by the Kremlin now kind of prompting a lot of concern about hunk countries which are already struggling with supplies. Mm. How are they going to cope now? Yeah. So uh, also, um, when you mentioned about the gas line and things you can stick in cars, fossil fuel cars could be a thing of the past very soon. Europe officially signing the death warrant for them. Tell tell us about how that's going to go down, because there's a lot of fancy car manufacturers up that way. There's a lot of fancy ones. Yeah, so soon, but will it be soon enough? That's kind of the question at the moment. They've been negotiating this deal for months to get to this point, and EU uh, lawmakers finally settled on the end date for new combustible cars, essentially anything that's not electric. They've decided on 2035. And as you say, Germany has this massive car manufacturing industry. It's the largest industry in the country, in fact. So there'd been some pretty strong lobbying going on behind the scenes with this deal. Uh, BMW and uh, more recently Volkswagen had wanted more time or at least some leeway for hybrids. But there seems to have been a change of mind at some of those companies recently. Maybe they just saw the writing was on the wall. But uh, Volkswagen and Mercedes now supportive of the change. And the party line from car manufacturers is that they'll make it work. So you can imagine there were some pretty intense negotiations behind the scenes to get this one across the line. But on the other side of the coin, Greenpeace says, no way, not nearly good enough. Transport accounts for 30% of the EU's total greenhouse gas emissions and almost two-thirds of all the oil used in the EU is going to this industry. Um, Greenpeace says, you know, getting rid of these car engines needed to be over by 2028 at the latest. And this uh, 2035 date, they've said it's really just a feel-good headline to mask politicians' failure to act on climate change. Yeah. Um, the electric cars, they do look nicer now, though, so that's OK. They always looked a bit weird. They looked a bit Jetsons to me. Uh, now they look better. So they're, they're buyable, everybody. Go out and get one. Finally, um, I know many places around the world are struggling with the ethics of medical marijuana and the opioid crisis, but I see that doctors in Brussels are descri- uh, prescribing museum visits. Yes, yes, and what a lovely antidote to all of life's ills. This is um, just in its pilot stages at the moment, but it seems to have had very positive feedback so far. Basically, Therapists and doctors can give patients who might be struggling with depression or anxiety and other medical uh, mental health issues a pass so that they can visit cultural sites for free. Um, Apparently there's been a similar project going on in Quebec and Canada for several years now and in Belgium they were really keen to try it as some of the um, proponents organisers say you know the COVID pandemic has reminded people that culture is really essential for mental health. Everyone's been trapped inside and a lot of people I guess still kind of nervous about venturing out into some places it can be a bit daunting so under this pass um, patients can have several people accompany them you know family or friends and I guess it kind of depends on um, the content of the exhibition or the, mm. the museum in terms of whether that would brighten your day but no doubt a fantastic way to get people out into the world and learning and thinking and hopefully finding some joy on their way. Absolutely. Nita thank you very much that's Nita Blake person who's been in Germany long enough now to pronounce it Volkswagen. Thank you.
and so much more theme tickets. 20 past five on Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, we hear from air travellers who are crying foul over how much they have to pay for flights. And also, as more and more of us catch COVID, you know that sleepy, not feeling quite onto it thing in the next few weeks we've got a researcher to uh, tell you plenty of that and uh, it's interesting too that'll be before we hit the end of the program the last day of October which means it's Halloween and standing at the door eager for the kids to arrive in costume so he can say, just take one mandarin each, kids. That's all. It's uh, the Minister of Fruit and Veg. It's Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, how are you? Yeah, Morena, Nathan. That's a good point, eh? Halloween. We, we should give them a pun, pun of the strawberries as they come to the door. Well, I'm going to your place then if it's a pun of the strawberries. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, actually, because it wasn't strawberry season uh, uh, last week, but according to Price. what it, tell, us, tell us how we are this week in strawberry world. Yes, we did our homework teach and, and caught up with several New Zealand strawberry growers over the weekend. Now, the general consensus to get strawberries with flavour is to look at the colour, as it is, uh, it boils down to the grower picking at the right stage. So Emma at Keynes in Cambridge, she suggests fully red all over, nice deep red glossy colour. Um, now, they peak later in November, as that nasty frost a few weeks ago in Hamilton They've put the, that's put them uh, behind the season. Julian's in Fokatani, they're big on colour too, as are seasoned farms in the Waikato. Uh, so now call ahead to check on Pick Your Own, however, as most don't do this until December. But of course they have gate sales and fruit ice cream earlier, and a good way to get red strawberries at their farms, as the fruit is too delicate to travel long distances, distances to the market. Uh, now there are many Auckland growers pumping now as well, such as New Zealand, New Zealand Gourmet and Phil Gregg and Kumu. Talked with Phil yesterday, and he's a heck of a nice guy. He's been growing these beautiful berries for 35 years. He was saying the fruit is always big early season, but when the sunshine and maturity hits, the flavour really comes out. So from mid-November to mid-December, fasten your seatbelt, Nathan, because we're going to have some beauties this year. Beautiful. 2101, uh, first up audience, 2101. How many strawberries is it appropriate to eat out of that punnet on the way home? Like three, four, you know, because you've always got to sneak some on the way through before you get home. How many strawberries do you do you eat on the way home? Um, what about veggies? Bro- broccoli is uh, broccoli's strong at the moment. Oh, it's vegetable heaven here today. Several lines in good supply this morning and lots of popular ones too. Some beautiful greens included a broccoli, silver beet, the cute small Shanghai bok choy and cauliflower. Now one cup of raw collie provides 77% of daily vitamin C needs. Tomato supply is well up with a welcome decrease in prices. Lots of eggplant from our amazing grower Case out at Dairy Flat who supplies up to 70% of our hungry little country's needs at his peak he's a truly remarkable grower as our mr case now a tip for storing asparagus at home shave a smidge off their bottoms and put the bunches in jars of water like flowers in the fridge and they'll last a week i mean we can get a week out of parsley doing the same thing we have one more veggie to mention yet capsicums climb into these two chop them up put them into everything go crazy there's plenty around stuff them or even do raw strips of them for the kids lunchbox you may you may be surprised their liking towards them yeah, they do. Love love the reds, the reds and the yellows. Um, now, uh, fruit. Let's go fruit there as well. Uh, mangoes and, and berries in demand, I see. 
Yeah, here we go. We, we still have our tried and true late season apples and pears available and citrus lines in good supply today with mandarins, tangelos and grapefruit. Now, if everybody in New Zealand for the next few months could eat an avocado a day, that would really help soak up some volume. But I was lucky enough to try my first taste of new season Australian R2E2 mangoes. Now, these are magic melt-in-your-mouth mangoes, well worth their price tag. Now, a great start for breakfast is your favourite cereal, yoghurt and a sliced banana. We've been adding green and gold kiwi fruit to that too, you know, for the last few months, making it a bowl of health fit for a king. But from this week, we will exchange kiwi fruit now to fresh berries. There were noticeably more strawberries here today, more blueberries, and even now early raspberries. So a tasty way to celebrate the start of the strawberry season as well is slicing them into your champagne drinks. Uh, Lindell Fraser is, is a good choice. That's a strawberry flavour all round, Nathan. So yeah, let's get into some berries now. You fancy man. There he is, Glenn Forsyth. Thank you very much. Sir, the Minister of Fruit and Veg. Yeah, like we said, he's uh, standing at the door, at the door there with his bowl of caramelised Brussels sprouts, just for the kids clambering along to get one there, and maybe a, a strawberry each. There you are, beautiful, glimpseful. Sing your penny a Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's the day of our life we call the 31st of October. It's the day that Vanilla Ice calls his birthday. He was born Robert Matthew Van Winkle. If you're wondering what Vanilla Ice is doing now that he's no longer talking about Ice Ice Baby or appearing in Madonna's coffee table book, which was quite shocking in the 90s, he's um, got his own home renovation show now which I think is pretty much what you, you you go on to, isn't it, before they send you off into one of those uh, celebrity uh, fight for a prize shows and then just off to the back paddock. But uh, there you go. Robert uh, Van Winkle is uh, 55 years old today. Happy birthday to you, Sir Peter Jackson. He is 61 today. And Dan Rather, American newsman, born 91 years ago on this day. On this day in 1968, a beautiful song, What's Going On, by Marvin Gaye first appeared. So people have been asking about the environment and when is anyone going to do about it since 1968 and steadfastly, now's not the time to discuss it. So well done. Uh, on the stone in 1992, Pope John Paul II announced that the Catholic Church had erred by imprisoning Galileo Galilei, uh, Galileo Galilei, oh, you know, uh, for his belief that the earth revolved around the sun. So um, they imprisoned him in 1633 and he finally apologised in 1992, which means the earth had gone around the sun 359 times in between then. And on the stone 1936, uh, Michael Landon was born. Well, he wasn't actually Michael Landon, he was Eugene Orovitz. You might know him as Little Joe from Bonanza or Charles from Little House on the Prairie or Jonathan from Highway to Heaven. He was an exceptional javelin throw at school. Through 58.93 metres in 1954, the longest throw by a high schooler. It got him a uh, scholarship to go to USC University. He tore his shoulder, got into acting, and as they say, the rest is history. But uh, one of the teachers said, you can't you can't be an actor with the name Eugene Orovitz. Come on, man. So he changed his name to Michael Landon, and that is this day that we call the 31st of October. Yes, What you're trying to say, you're trying to say, let's get down to business, it's business time. It's business, it's business time. And it is Giles. Bigfoot that I get to say kia ora to today. How are you, sir? Morena, I am very well, thank you, Nathan. Okay, this now what's this you've sent through here? Soul traders slash self-employed under the gun. How so? 
Well, uh, it, it'd be a bit of a surprise. I mean, we, we see everybody around here, all the tradies and the like, uh, the consultants, and uh, they're all classified as, as sole traders or self-employed. They make up about a fifth of the workforce. There are 400,000 people uh, out there just you know, on their own account. Um, there's a firm that does a, a little survey of them to see how they're faring at the moment. Although they're quite happy in themselves, they love being by themselves, you know, steering their own uh, business, their own course, but they're feeling the pressure like everybody else. So at least uh, three quarters of them say that they're saving less or else they're eating into their savings uh, to cover rising costs, um, in particular uh, the living costs, not just the cost of doing business. Uh, 71% um, are actively cutting their costs just to um, make ends meet. And about two-thirds say things are getting a bit tougher for their businesses, which is uh, an increase on the previous survey. Uh, around a third of them are saying that uh, they've had to put their prices up or they're having to work longer to make ends meet. Now, it tends to be, you know, of course, when we're in big firms and uh, you know, there's hundreds of us uh, in a company or an organisation, these sorts of things, you know, I mean, we just whinge about our pay packet per se, but, you know, we're not thinking about, you know, actually, how do I buy the materials and I've got to do my taxation and I've got to do the insurance uh, you know, to keep the business going. So from that point of view, they're doing it tougher, but there seems to be no shortage of people willing to go down that path, which is, um, you know, I, I assume it's, you know, partly character, partly because they're in the sort of trade where or, or business where they think, yeah, I don't want to be part of a big organisation anymore. Hmm. Yeah. But your, your savings are for these times, though, aren't they? I mean, households are having to do this. That's Surely well, they, that's what well, savings they are, well, they is, are, but, right? But remember, these people... Their personal finances are usually so intricately uh, woven mm. with their businesses. Yeah, true. You know, houses uh, are put up and mortgaged, you know, so that they provide the capital for the business. So, mm. in many respects, you know, they find uh, they're finding it you know, a good deal tougher. Um, you know, they really have a, a, perhaps a, lot, a little bit more at stake than um, you know those of us who just work for, you know, should we say, the wage every week. Yeah, Giles, thank you very much for your time, sir. There we go. You you can hear more uh, from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Here's Morning Report. It's all about branding. Morning Report with Barry Guy. Do you like that? How are you? What do you reckon? I'm, oh, not bad, actually. It was, a, it was a good weekend. Very rainy old weekend. But it was a very uh, very interesting weekend. Where do you want to go sports-wise? Well, uh, I um, I watched the Black Ferns live on uh, Saturday night uh, as they uh, swept through into the uh, semi-finals of the uh, Rugby World Cup. Yeah. I then score, saw what the score was in the All Blacks and thought, well, I'm not going to watch that. Uh <laughs> And I was thinking I might watch it on Sunday, and I never got around to it. So, uh, isn't, isn't it you remarkable? Tell me all about that. Well, it's remarkable when you play teams uh, that we don't see often that we're green with white shorts or white with white tops. Amazing how much um, props don't just sit down all the time and scrums don't collapse all the time. It's amazing what happens there. But no, All Blacks looked very stilted once again. It was one of those odd games where uh, the back line doesn't flow well uh, when they're faced with a, a very, very determined. 
uh, defence line. Also, one of those ones where someone that went to Napier Boys scores a try for Japan, and you're like, how did we let that one go? Look at the size of him. But, um, yeah, Brody Retallick, I, I, when do we know? Because for Tuesday. those of you that don't know, he, yeah, he got a red card uh, j- during that game uh, for one of the technicality laws of clearing out at a ruck, but fair enough. So is it Tuesday? We'll find out whether he gets yeah, to stay not. Yeah, it's Tuesday, and I, I think it comes out of Europe, so it'll be Tuesday night our time. I did see some interesting comments from Jamie Joseph afterwards, the Japan coach, <laughs> and he said that um, uh, a part of his comments were that um, teams were scared of playing the All Blacks in his day, and I thought, well, you know, I mean... That, well, he probably liked quite a, to think that's so. quite a while ago now, and a lot of it was when you know there was amateur rugby and, and those yeah. sorts of things. I mean, things have changed now. It's a professional game. Everyone's playing rugby all the time. The, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how to respond to that really. No. But I thought it was a bit silly. Yeah, so, do you know uh, that? Well, I mean, yeah. he obviously would like to think that because that's when he was playing, and he probably yeah. remembers those. Remember the, the pictures of the old days of Buck Shelford running down the line yeah. with you know five Japanese players hanging off him. They yeah. are so good now. <laughs> And, yep. and I think the thing is, is really the lesson is now is that, you know, for ages, people to the whole, oh, it'd be great to have other good nations. Well, you can't complain when the other nations get good. But I think now what what the other night showed was you just can't go, any of the teams in the world can't go too deep into their squads to play Japan. Because remember, Japan, yep. you know, a lot of people miss seeing in the last World Cup, yeah. but Japan just toweled up Scotland and Ireland, mm. absolutely embarrassed them. So they are, they're a very, very good side now. I mean, the All Blacks bumbled through. They went deep into their squad. I, I think there are some guys that perhaps might have seen a World Cup disappear and Sam Kane's fractured his cheek so he's what come back home yeah, as well. Dane Coles too. Uh, yeah. You know, he's, he's I don't know how many minutes he's, of rugby he's actually played this year so no. uh, that could be it for him as well. I'd, but uh, go the fans, Black, Black Ferns again yeah, uh, look pretty good. Uh, the uh, the forwards continue to improve. The back line is showing more, you know, with that sort of pass behind a sort of a front line of, uh, of back line and then mm. making more space for themselves so continuing to progress. Uh, I, sh- I think... As long as the weather stays uh, okay and, you know, it's not similar to what it was in Waitakere yesterday, um, that they should get through to the final against England and uh, we'll Do you reckon we, we to get through France? <sighs> yeah, 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 I think so. France is good. I think so. Um, uh, cricket uh, continues. Uh, South Africa beat India last night. They go top of their group. New Zealand play England tomorrow night, uh, win that, and they'll be through to the semi-finals, more or less. Melbourne Cup tomorrow. I've got no idea. Oh, my goodness. Are it's we, time. Are we, time? we are too. It's time uh, perhaps one of the European uh, horses won again. So uh, there's, there's a, a fair few of them there. Can so, I tell an old um, radio war story? So I worked at a, uh, a a radio station that was basically set up to trick adult men into betting on horses. And um, we got to interview a, a guy who calls the Melbourne Cup, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, on our, this is on our sports radio show. I asked him a question. And this is a man that's used to talking to horses, you know, going round in the birdcage, walking round to the track, and then doing the race, and then all the post-match. His answer, eight minutes long, and it, it got to a point where we were just like, this is quite funny, let's just sit back and see if he's going to keep going, and he did, you know, we, yeah. the phone line could have dropped off and he'd just be talking to himself for eight minutes there as well, but I never know these, because whenever you try and ask any of these punters, there was, you go, who's going to win, they'll give you like seven of them, Yeah. Hey, and those go, oh, that'll run strong, oh, yeah. don't forget the that only, one, it's like only you The only time I've ever picked it, and I think I'll tell you this every year, is, uh, goodness, this will be at least 20 years ago, uh, Jeff Robinson said, who's going to win the uh, <laughs> Melbourne Cup? And I said, Rogan Josh. 
because if he doesn't win, that's what he'll end up as. <laughs> and uh, he did. And the, the unfortunate thing is they'll never put any money on it. Oh! So there you go. Good luck to all the punters out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make Cheers. your investment. Yeah, good on you, Barry. There we go. Uh, Barry Guy there. Um, yeah, it's always interesting, isn't it, the Melbourne Cup? I, I'd forgotten completely about that. I think, I just remember as a kid, uh, Kiwi. That was just such a great moment because it was called Kiwi and it came from the back and you're like, yes, this is fantastic. Um, yes, so Kiwi. Then they was, of course, the highlights of the Melbourne Gentry, gentry um, getting very drunk. Here's another one. Um, so, yes, uh, look, it is uh, heading up to six o'clock here. And I'm Nathan Radity here at First Up on RNZ National. So still to come on the programme, I think this is really interesting for any of you uh, that have had COVID and you might recognise some things in here, or perhaps those of you that haven't, well done to you. We're going to hear from a physician on how to cope with that debilitating brain fog, which is affecting an increasing number of New Zealanders. My surprise, he did the monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the it caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my lab. The professionals of RNZ are working in the lab. And it's morning report. Now, I can't stay with it the whole way through, Corin. I was trying. Uh, Corin, Dan, with good. me right now, working in the lab. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm very good, very good. Yes, uh, it is Halloween, isn't it? Yeah, it I was is at, Halloween. I was out yesterday uh, walking the neighbourhood with the dog, and boy, there were some people going to huge efforts putting spider webs and tombstones yes. and all sorts of amazing uh, decorations on their properties, isn't it? Yeah, cool. there's lots of very spider webby houses around where the kids mm. go to school, too. They're very yeah, no, people around. are into it, eh? People are yeah. into it. Uh, of course, uh, it does come with a tinge of, uh, well, a great deal of tragedy when you think about what's happened in uh, oh, Seoul. Korea. Yeah, gosh. Uh, so we will talk Horrible. about that as well, because that is a, a Halloween a story which is not a good one. Uh, mm. So we'll find out more about what has gone on there. A lot of foreigners have been caught up in that. Just horrific scenes and images starting to come out now about the uh, how you know terrifying and scary mm. that tragedy was. So we will talk about that. Uh, we've got quite a lot on the programme this morning looking at the alcohol issue. Uh, we'll talk to Chloe Schwarbrook, of course, who sort of kicked things off with her uh, bill. That's obviously part of that's now being run with by uh, Labour. Kitty Allen uh, will be on the programme. The Justice Minister talk about that. Also talk to the Prime Minister, who is in for her uh, weekly chat. The buses announcement yesterday, too, to boost uh, the pay. And the Melbourne Cup, a preview of that. It's that time of year. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Twitter, all those sort of things. We've got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on today. You have. There we go. Thank you very much. Uh, that's Corin Dan, of course, who's uh, with you after six for Morning Report. So, with thousands of New Zealanders still catching COVID-19 every week, cases of long COVID, or post-COVID as they're calling it now, are also mounting. So, there's lots we still don't know about this condition, but with millions of people worldwide reporting similar symptoms in the weeks or months after recovering from that initial infection, it's going to be with us for a long time yet. And although the symptoms vary greatly, they often include breath aching muscles, crippling fatigue and that debilitating brain fog that you know. Now one of the New Zealand researchers who uh, has been studying the condition is infectious disease and respiratory physician Dr Michael Mays. He was recently involved in a published study into post-COVID so I got to speak to him and asked him, you know, what did you find? Yeah, so this was a study where we followed people in the Canterbury region who'd been uh, infected with COVID early in the epidemic. And we looked at two groups of people. We looked at people who had both tested positive and so had COVID, and then those who didn't have COVID but had other sort of flu-like type illnesses. And we found that those who had COVID were, had a much longer period of symptoms, often lasting some months. 
These symptoms included chest pains and breathlessness, fatigue. So all the symptoms really, I guess, that make up you know, what people are calling long COVID or post-COVID condition. Yeah, it, do, it, it does hang around. I guess it can be difficult for people to know if they've got this post-COVID because the symptoms can be attributed to so many other things, can't they? Like, How do you diagnose it and distinguish it from just, you know, from other things like chronic fatigue? Yeah, I guess there's a, a few points to draw out of that. I mean, the first one is that the symptoms of COVID can last for some time. And not everybody who's got symptoms that last for some time have long COVID. So I've just been reflecting on this a little myself as I come out with my second round of COVID. And and several weeks out, I'm feeling pretty good, but I'm still getting the occasional headache and things. So lots of us will get symptoms that do persist, and things will gradually get better. But some people have really persistent symptoms that don't get better, and those are the people really who've got these post-COVID symptoms. The other important point, I guess, is that not all symptoms that occur around the time of COVID or shortly after are due to that. And it can be important because it can reflect something else that's going on, some other conditions. So, I mean, I think it's there's no simple or straight answer to that. As I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about later, you know, long COVID is quite a varied thing. But I guess the key point being that I think if you do have symptoms that do persist, you should see your doctor. And, and there'll be a process where doctors will consider whether this could be related to COVID or whether this could be related to something else that's going on do appropriate investigations and you know, make a diagnosis. I guess it's hard to know, as you know, just as a member of the general public, as to do I bother with the doctors or not? Because I know they're very busy and they've got those. Because, you know, this is my very small sample size anecdotal, just me and a few people I know that have got it. It seems, or have had it. It seems like you get it for that week where it knocks you around, but it seems like four or five weeks afterwards, it's almost like a comet that goes whether you're tired and they all do that same yawn, the <sighs> where you, it seems like your bloodstream and your brain is desperate there for oxygen. So what are the researchers around the world finding out about how you're supposed to treat this? Yeah, so I mean a couple of parts to that again. So anything that's happening in the first four weeks is very much part of the acute illness. And as you say, we all know some people who seem to breathe through and hardly get anything, but for many people it does take three to four weeks to get over at least. And in fact Mm. often a wee bit longer. I think if you're in that position and if you're improving, things are probably heading in the right direction. And But if things aren't improving, and particularly if it's getting to the point that's really affecting people's daily life and quality of life, then that, that would certainly be a time that seeing a doctor would be a sensible thing to do. Yeah. The other thing too, I think, is for people, is you, you get over your main bit, it's like, well, I can go back into society now, but you still feel that way. It can get a bit, you almost feel a bit depressing there. What, what's your advice for people? Because it is very much, it seems like how long's a piece of string. Like, What's your advice for people who might be suffering the prolonged symptoms after COVID? It depends a little bit on, on what the prolonged symptoms are. And, and we, we haven't talked about this so much yet, but the symptoms of following COVID can be quite varied. So it can be people talking about headaches, people talk about brain fog where they just can't quite concentrate in the same way. People feel get chest pain, some people feel breathless. Not everybody gets all of these things. And so they, how you might manage these different symptoms might be different. I think a common piece of advice really is, particularly in, in those early weeks, is just listen to your body. Go slowly, don't try and race straight back in. We've all, we remember back early in the illness, we, we were sort of back in the pandemic, when you got COVID, you had to be sort of locked away for 14 days. And then that's gradually reduced. That doesn't mean nothing's changed about the virus. It does take weeks to recover from. Less infectious after seven days and shortly after probably not infectious. But you're, it doesn't mean it's all over. 
And I think it's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, we're not out now after seven days. We don't expect necessarily to be better after seven days. No. So just take it slowly. Are you finding any post-COVID symptoms difference between the various strains of COVID that we've had through? It's probably quite hard to work that out definitively, but I, I think not especially. I think all of them are very capable of causing post-COVID symptoms and there hasn't really been major differences between the strains, I don't think. What about what your GP can do? Is there anything they can prescribe you? Yeah, well, there's two parts to that. So it's certainly very tempting to want a silver bullet, something the GP can prescribe that will fix everything. Hmm. And certainly there is research going on around the world trying to find such a silver bullet. I think in reality, though, that we may get lucky, but probably most of what this requires is good multidisciplinary care. So for, for most of us, and I think it's really important to separate the people who gradually recover from those who get debilitating post-COVID that really knocks them around for months or longer. And I think for those people, good multidisciplinary care is the best that we've got. And, and the key person in that and, and sort of leading that care is the GP. Different things, people require different things. Some people require a gradual return to exercise program. Some people will need help with sleep. Some people will need help with concentration and memory. And so most of these things, in fact, require sort of input from physiotherapists and occupational therapists and psychologists and GPs rather than a new pill or injection that's going to that's going to suddenly turn everything around. When I've asked friends about it, it's funny, you're like, how are you going with it? And most, I, my review of it was like, it's just so dumb. I hate this. It seems to hang around forever and it just makes me really tight. And also too, I found mentally as well, so I found myself getting almost quite depressive thoughts about things that I wouldn't normally be depressed about. And I think that's where I was able to catch myself and go, hang on, this is very un-me. Is that just because you get so run down and you're so tired that you start to feel a bit bleak? Yeah, so that, I mean, there's, there's, there's potentially a range of things. Certainly we know that, that COVID does affect the brain and both the virus and then the immune response can all have profound effects on the brain. I think also, as you quite rightly say, when, when you are feeling pretty sick and it's going on for weeks and weeks, that's a depressing kind of feeling. Mm. It's not unsurprising, but it doesn't make it any better because it is. It's, it can be pretty debilitating. It, it can be quite serious. I think if people are having those kind of symptoms and they do feel like their mood's affected, that would be another good time to catch up with their GP. That is Dr. Michael Mays. Yeah, let us know if you've uh, had any of those. I just found the weird thing for me when when I came back from it, I know particularly for the week we were on air, I just lost all concept of how long things were taking. And I've, I've told my workmates this, but I remember the first day I got out, went to the petrol station, filled the car up, got back in, and I could have sworn that took 15 minutes or 20 minutes, just no concept of where time went, which is normally something in this job you get really good at. Um, completely gone. Um, so there were all sorts of carries on like that. Couldn't remember what day it was. And I think I may have pronounced some really interesting new words for the world language that didn't even exist in those days. So, yeah, 2 and 0 and let us know how it went for you. Well, in New Zealand is warning travellers, hey, book holidays early as a combination of rising fuel prices, inflation and high demand have forced it to review and also hike airfares. So international and domestic passengers alike are crying foul, complaining of airfares costing two or three times the amount that they did pre-pandemic. But New Zealand says that airline prices, uh, airlines priced the last seats on planes higher to ensure those needing to travel urgently can fly. So we sent Leonard Powell to Auckland Airport to investigate. 
The flights have almost doubled and tripled. I just came back from India last night. The normal price for a flight would have been less than two grand, and I've paid over four grand. And even domestic flights from Wellington to Auckland now is about over $300 return all the time, and generally used to be less than $150. This traveller at Auckland Airport tells me current airfares are becoming unaffordable. Especially if you've got a family of four, you're almost paying you know, 200% more than what you generally would pay. I understand that the cost of things have gone up, but not by 200% for sure. I think uh, airlines are now trying to make more money as uh, they've lost in COVID. So they're trying to overcharge and they know people have to travel. And because there's not so much competition in New Zealand, they can overcharge. And it's a sentiment shared by many. This man tells me he wouldn't have relocated from the UK if his family hadn't paid. Well, it was 3000 to get here from the UK and the flight that I did want was £7,000. That's in pounds, not dollars. Can you remember what the £7,000 flight would have been in the past? Grand and a half, maybe? If that? I mean, if it wasn't for my dad paying for my ticket, I certainly wouldn't be travelling. In a statement, Air New Zealand's Chief Customer and Sales Officer Leanne Geraghty says since the pandemic, it's seen an unprecedented demand for travel. That, combined with a shortage of some aircraft, rising fuel prices along with inflation, have forced it to review and increase prices. Miss Geraghty says whilst it's working hard to offer affordable and competitive airfares, comparing one seat on one day isn't reflective of its pricing structure. She cites examples of early lead-in fares on domestic flights priced between $59 and $99 and one way from Auckland to Honolulu for $378. But first up could not find any $378 airfares between Auckland and Honolulu from now until next October. The cheapest we could find was $484, with one-way flights costing up to $1,482 during the school holidays. And these domestic passengers aren't feeling the love either. I fly on the regional flights. My destination is always is the Monopoly. That's just the one airline flying there. There's no competition. We've got no choice but to pay whatever they ask for. You can't get those cheap fares anymore. You have to book like at least maybe three months, two months ahead. Back in the day, it was like two weeks, three weeks a week get a cheap fare, but it doesn't seem to be the same anymore. I was supposed to come up for a 50th in August. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll check it out. There's no way. Might still go to Australia and back it would be cheaper. Aviation commentator Irene King is the former chief executive of Aviation New Zealand. She says after two years of restricted travel, demand is high. And they're prepared to pay the rate, that's a big thing. If people are not prepared to pay the rate, then if clearly the airfares will come down. But people are prepared to pay the rate. You know, the, the demand is pent up and they want to travel. Miss King says hiked airfares are also partly due to aircrafts being decommissioned during the pandemic. It's literally just like a supply chain. You need the aircraft. They need to go through engineering. They need to come back online. And then you've got to have the crew to fly them. And then the crew has to be current. It's one problem or one blockage just compounds upon another. Eventually it will clear. This would-be traveller is hoping things change. She was at the terminal to farewell family members, but won't be joining them. My partner went to Tonga, but he already had a ticket from three and a half years ago because of the COVID. If he had gone on today's prices, he would have paid nearly a thousand bucks just one way to Tonga. And what would you usually be looking at for that flight? On non-peak hour, about three, four hundred, five hundred dollars. Others tell me they have no choice. This traveller has taken a financial blow in order to fly to Japan to see an elderly family member.
So I'm going to visit my grandma because I haven't seen her for a long time. For like figure-wise, it was usually about 1,500 or 1,700. What we had to pay, it was like over three grand for return flights. Pretty expensive. And another shares her frustration. I've been traveling to South Africa for about nine years now, back and forth, and this is the most expensive I've ever paid for a ticket. And the service has been absolutely appalling. So it's really disheartening to see that even though you're paying more for the fares, the service you're getting is absolutely horrendous. Irene King says the high cost of travel is a global problem, and whilst travel seems inaccessible to many with the rising cost of living, she predicts the market will correct itself by 2024. That's Leonard Crocs Powell. Uh, thank you there, Leonard. Uh, messages coming in here. I travel every week, pricing super high in domestic travel, and over half the plane is often empty. Another one. Morning, Nathan. Loss of taste and smell. Wonder how long that one continues. Oh, yeah, that one. Another one. Uh, Nathan, Halloween is unnecessarily imported bad juju. Uh, another one. Can you please ask your guests why do raspberries go yucky so quickly from the shops? So well, we can ask them to do some homework on that one. Uh, and Joe, the roaster's tip is get your strawberries, but buy at least two punnets, one for the drive home and one for the family. It's cheaper than a pint at the pub. Uh, Angela says being in business for yourself means you call all the shots. No micromanaging boss, no unnecessary staff meetings, no employment issues that often cost you uh, time and money and no having to do jobs that you don't want. But the downside's the lack of regular paycheck. Yep, you're right, they're doing it tough. And someone said, no, All Blacks is boring. Yawn. Don't care. Play against Japan. Do you know what? It wasn't one of the great ones. Put it that way. That's not the one they're putting on their CV and taking into sponsors. Well, have yourselves a uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic day. Uh, morning reporters next with Marnie and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Get your little bags out. When they come around, if this, if you haven't got a trick or treat, that's okay. It's not peer pressure. They're just, they're just kids in little costumes having a fun time. Thank you. Download First Up the podcast. We're back in your ears. Up, up, up.